Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Radcast. Today we are joined by our first guest of 2022, Dr. Koshi Jacob. Although you might not recognise his name, you'll definitely have heard of his company, Revised Radiology, which probably has the most comprehensive portfolio of courses for the FRCR exam. Personally, I don't know anyone who hasn't used at least one of his resources for exam prep. Yeah, I think for many of our listeners, two things will come to mind when they hear the words revised radiology, and that's exams and spending money. But it's obviously a great resource, which is why everyone uses it. And it's a prime example of a radiologist running a successful business. So we're keen to find out the story behind it and hear about some of Koshi's other entrepreneurial passions, both within and outside of medicine. So over to you now, Koshi. Would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, so my name is Dr. Koshi Jacob. I'm a consultant radiologist and I, if I just start from, you know, having, I spent my childhood in kind of Nigeria, Sweden and India and decided to do medicine at the age of eight. Um, studied medicine at the Christian Medical College in Velour, which is um, the oldest and probably one of the oldest and probably one of the most well-known medical schools in South Asia. Um, so I, after the you know five and a half years in medicine, I went over to work in a mission hospital. Did a couple of years there. Went back to Velour to um, to really find out what I wanted to do. And it was there that I kind of came across radiology. It's not something that you think of when you're in medical school. And certainly, the image that everyone has, as you well know, is people in dark rooms and very bored. Um, <laughs> but uh, I got interested in radiology, uh, partly because someone made the comment that it's actually the radiologist who makes the final diagnosis often. So I went ahead, did a year there, but then decided I wanted to come to the UK to do radiology. So at the time, back in 99, the only way of doing that was, uh, you know, practically speaking, was to do a exam like the MRCP or MRCS. I chose the medicine route because I didn't know much about surgery anyway. Um, did the MRCP in Plymouth. Uh, while I was there, I developed my radiology portfolio by doing a few audits. I also published in clinical radiology. Some of you might remember the paper on doctor's knowledge of uh, radiation exposures, for those of you who are old enough. And um, that helped me a lot when I went for radiology interviews and got into Cardiff um, and did three years there and then moved to the Bristol scheme uh, because my wife got a job uh, down in uh, Bridgewater. And, um, well, maybe I should just speak about the exams first. Um, So passing exams, uh, I was always a believer from medical school of doing as little as possible that's necessary to pass exams. (laughs) And I've been a big believer in that passing exams is almost as much about technique as about knowledge. Um, so you can have as much knowledge as you you want, but if you don't have the right technique, you will fail. And it took me at least two attempts of every MRCP exam to get through because the first one was really just getting to know the exam and the second one, I really did it. And of course, you have to have the knowledge. You can't pass without it. Um, with radiology, though, at the time we were on a kind of modular system. So I did the clever thing and did only two modules at a time and passed every single time at the first attempt because I, I realized that trying to do six modules is quite challenging. But the place I really tripped in is the 2B exam. And that was because um, 
I didn't really have the knowledge and I didn't have the technique either. So th- this is why I'm a big believer that um, you've got to have the right stuff and consistency and massive action to get success, whether it's in an exam or in life generally. And if any of those uh, components are missing, whether it's in business or in um radiology or in any other part of life really then you know it, it's a big zero so you you've got to get all three bits um together now i've always wanted to run courses i almost i if i'd done medicine i probably would have been doing a mrcp course i mean general medicine. <laughs> but um so frcr was something i i felt this is something i i'd like to do and the opportunity came up when um, the department in Bristol needed some new computers for, for radiologists. And I said, OK, I'll, I'll run a course and we'll use the profits from that to pay for that. Um, so we also bought a number of books and really helped the library. Um, and that principle of doing stuff with a sort of um, purpose has remained with me the whole time. And so we can talk later about um, uh, the the other side of uh, radiology and property investing and all those kind mm. of areas. But um, the, the the reason behind Southwest FRCR, which was the first sort of inroad into education, was really to help people pass exams. And I felt I and I became a sort of expert in it by learning about the experiences of other people. Mm. Um, and I was inspired by other courses that I had attended, the good ones. And I have to name uh, the entry course by John Curtis, brilliant course. Um, nice. And it really did inspire me to run a course that was as good. And we we basically innovated along the way. The mistakes we made were mainly to do with predicting what the college was going to use. So we, when we heard it was going online, we or not online, when we heard that the exam was going electronic we went ahead and bought some pcs you know five months later the college announces it's going to be on mac and it's going to be on Horus. <laughs> so those pcs were pretty useless and um i ended up buying all these macs and then uh, soon after buying the macs the college announces that the exam is going to be online and uh, that's the kind of things that happen so for many years we rented macs but then when we invested in it, the college moves on and we have to move on as well. And that's where Revised Radiology, which was actually not my organization, even though people know about it a bit through me. It was actually three radiologists from Bristol, Gary Pettit, uh, Richard Fawcett and... Uh, oh, Gary Pettit, his physics notes go around. Physics, um, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And Jonathan Rodriguez, they were the founders of Revised Radiology back in 2014. And wow. Jonathan, who has been very interested in education came and approached me and we together, he developed our long case packets for us. Um, yeah, we used the them in, um, no, I used their rapids in ST1, I remember. I think that was revised radiology in its old exactly. format. You probably yeah. weren't involved in that stage. No, I wasn't. Um, but I was very much involved with Jonathan Rodriguez, brilliant radiologist and very passionate about learning. And we were we were always talking about how, you know, if, if ever they wanted to sell it at any stage or, you know, do joint ventures, I was willing. And what actually happened is that in 2018, I approached them saying, OK, we would love to use your resource to give our candidates 
and they actually suggested at that time that they would like to, uh, you know, pass it on. So we uh, acquired Revised Radiology. What was it about their resource that you needed? I think it was just the fact that it was online and very accessible to to radiologists. So whereas our pro, the, what we had to offer was only available to people who came to our physical venue once in six months, and therefore people from abroad, they were people who used to fly in for yeah. the course and go back. And, you know, it's a massive yeah. investment, uh, not just in uh, the money. I mean, if you think now is expensive, think about mm. back those days when people had to come to courses and take accommodation, travel, some from abroad. I know people who came the day before, flew back to, you know, even back to Hong Kong the next day. <laughs> so that was how popular we were. Or to be a radiologist, I, I just don't see the appeal. <laughs> but that was why I felt that we really needed to give some of our products, at least do something and make revised radiology, which was um, their product at the time, accessible to our candidates. So, Could you not have made the um, online transition yourself? I suppose we could have. And I think the attraction was we had something to start with. And this is a mistake that a lot of radiologists do. They try, they, they're not, I am not an IT person. Gary Pettit is a, is a brilliant um, developer, IT developer, in addition to being a radiologist. Uh, he had the, the uh, skills to build up an online resource. I, I have by no means anything of an IT specialist. So I could have because I had the person in, and we've been talking about it for years, but I think getting revised radiology and, you know, sort of acquiring it just gave us a different mindset. And when we started, we only had rapids and we only had uh, the anatomy questions. And I just said to my developer, okay, do you think we could bring our lungs into this? Could we put the lungs? And what ended up happening, it was very interesting that at the same time, the college released Pratique, which is used by the college. Mm, and yeah. we actually contacted Pratik to see, you know, is it possible for us to use that? But at the time, and I don't know if it's open still, they, um, they they weren't very keen. So we just said, okay, let's try and simulate this. Let's build it up from scratch. And it cost us a huge amount of money, you know, over a hundred thousand pounds wow. to develop the same platform. And and it just shows how much cost and expense it mm. cost to develop an IT platform. It could have been done cheaper, I suppose, but we were learning, or rather my IT guy was learning, and he's become a sort of expert now in, in the whole thing. And we are going through a massive transformation of revised radiology. If you think what you see now is good, I think you'll be excited about what we have launching this year. Mm. I think the, the other thing as well is the, the brand name. Yes, so, uh, revised radiology is probably the best the best name. If you, yeah. very, if you think about what people are going to be googling when yeah. they wanting to prepare for the exams, then revised radiology is. It's there's, a there's it's a very catchy in, in name. It was a, for the name. It's on a par with Radcast. And it's very interesting because revised radiology, um, it 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 was so that was one of the attractions. Obviously, it had it it already was known by registrars, so you already have a a start and. I think a lot of people make the mistake of trying to create things from scratch. Mm. And that's often the entrepreneurial mistake. 
but a good business person and i and i don't do revised radiology for i don't run it for personal business reasons we we run it as as a way of raising money for charity but it's in very very important to run what you do as a business mm-hmm. but what we were what we were trying to do was to develop something that is incredibly useful so it also meant that i started doing online vivas it wasn't done through revised radiology we just did zoom sessions we were one of the first i was one of the first persons to start doing that quite early maybe 3 4 years ago before mm. the whole thing has gone wow. online so in a way we just it was a gradual process of moving everything online and now we are largely online and we do almost nothing um on site at the moment but that might change and that's again something because of covid going back to when you um bought the vice radiology i don't know whether it was just the domain name or they had an actual entity how do you go about valuing something like that it's very difficult and it's all and valuation of a of a business is a very specialist thing and it's very interesting because at the time i was actually part of a mentorship by someone called Jonathan J who's an expert at buying businesses and they gave me a formula to use mm. um based on uh, the turnover or the profit of the company and at the time obviously revised radiology you know it it was modest in a sense yeah. um it was just, it was only providing anatomy and rapid reporting and it was not in the college platform it it was very very good but we just we just made it better you know so i brought in all the experience and the way of thinking i have always believed that in when you run courses you've got to simulate the exam if you make your packets too hard or too easy yeah you are not simulating the exam so we always ran the principle mm. that the courses we run have to simulate so yeah i did think the revised radiology packets were the most accurate and obviously using yeah. the practice format as well it was the closest to the exam so we actually purchased the whole business and that meant we got all the packets um but we had to replace a lot of the rapid reporting questions because some of them were even i couldn't make them out as normal or abnormal you know <laughs> yeah. and, and and that becomes it, it can it can make people lose trust if you have questions that are too hard or mm. too easy mm-hmm. so we had to replace about 10 to 20% of the questions um, mm. um but that process made it one of the best you know and there's still work to do you still get occasionally you get someone saying is that a fracture and then we have a we have a group of radiologists who look at it and we come to a consensus and say mm, yeah i think we should take that out or no we should keep that in and that process is very similar to what the royal college does so we have that team of backup radiologists who we if i think and and the team think that this question is unfair is too difficult mm. and there are other abnormalities on the film then we take it out and the same with long cases if there's we it's very difficult to decide what's the perfect answer and that's something that one of the exciting uh, things that we're looking at is bringing ai in this year mm. where your long case packets will be automatically marked but it's i don't know how it, we've got a lot of data from people the way they've yeah. answered and we're probably going to use that we've got someone working on that it's 
might take a couple of years, I don't know, mm. but it's really exciting. And with Vivers, we've got a massive collection. So we we think we've got not just the IT platform, which is very similar to the exam, but we've also got everything in one platform. We are all we we give you know, you, you mentioned right at the beginning that you know revised radiology for being expensive. Um, and it is, it is not cheap. And that's because we put a huge amount of money into research development. And we make sure that what we are giving is incredibly useful, yeah. you know. And we've just started, we realized that we were not fitting physics, for example. So we've started a physics series and two-way content, we realized that it's going to take a... We started off developing two-way content, but then realized that why don't why do we have to compete? Why not collaborate? So we've always believed in collaboration. We've collaborated with FRCR Long Cases, FRCR Scholar, and now uh, with FRCR Exam Prep, which many people who sit the two-way exam will realize is really useful. So what we've done is we include a subscription of FRCR exam prep into physics and into 2A, and then we add the little bit extra. For example, a lot of people think when you study for 2A, all you should do is do your questions. But I believe that if you can combine that with Viva practice, it helps establish the learning. When you see an image, for example, if you have StatDX in front of you or Radiopedia and you see, you read something and you look at an image, it establishes the learning. And it's so easy to do now with electronic resources. It's uh, it, There's no excuse really to do that. So whereas when I did the FRCR, which is not a huge, it's not centuries ago, but you know, you had to look at a book. You didn't have that many resources. You probably had only 10 packets of to, to look at. And, and I, you know, it, it was so difficult to prepare. Yeah. There's just, now the problem is there's just too much and you need to know what's going to help you pass. And that's where we have now come up with a sort of brand promise from Revised Radiology, which is that if you you know, our brand promise is that we will help you pass the first time. Is there a money back guarantee? <laughs> That's something that we're going, we are seriously considering mm. that if someone gives, gives us the time, they put in the effort and we can show that they are putting in the effort because we've got, you know, ways of tracking whether they've done the packets, you know, how are they doing? We, we already give people, if they fail, we already give people an extra two months free we would probably make that longer. I mean, if we bring in the guarantee, but we are so certain because 95% of the people who sat the last exam and for, for a while now, anyone who's been with revised radiology for six months, 95% of them have passed. Is this so for the 2A or 2B? A 2B. A 2A, mm. we don't really have much of an offering and, you know, but 2B, which is the final, the exit, mm. you know, we are pretty confident we can give, we can, we can help people. And, you know, we, we're, we think that we could get to a hundred percent, but it, people need to put the effort in. Yeah. I do think the TB is a fairly reasonable, passable exam. If you put in the work, um, 
because I when we were in the earlier years, ST1 and ST2, you'd see people preparing for the 2B and um, some of them went on loads and loads of courses um, and spent a lot of money and maybe overcomplicated it. But yeah. when I sat it, I found that it was quite a fair exam. Not easy, but I think that if you sort of just stick to your fundamentals and you're safe, then I think you can coach people to pass it. That is exactly the thing. To be safe as a radiologist is what they're trying to really test. Mm. And what we are trying to do is, especially people in the UK, you know, many of them go for our written resources. Um, but we have found that the pass rate among overseas candidates has, has, has almost doubled after revised radiology came on the scene, partly because we put so much in there and people who don't have experience of vivas and rapids particularly get the experience they need. And with the long cases, you know, it's it's all about timing. The preparation for vivas and long cases, you know, there are lots of people who haven't done any long case practice except learning on the platform, which is really the, the challenging bit and learning all the short, side, short codes, which you get a lot of practice on on a platform like Revised Radiology. So it is a very possible exam, but you have to do it the right way. So mm. one of the mistakes people make is going on the wrong courses at the, or going at the, on the right courses, but at the wrong time. So for example, you could go on a rapid reporting course, but if, if you go on it about six months before, learn how to identify fractures, it's perfect, but you do it like two weeks or three weeks before the exam, and some of the cases are so hard, you start becoming an overcaller. Yeah. And it almost undoes all the good work that mm. we do on revised radiology. So we found <laughs> sometimes that it's better towards the end to just use a resource that is as close to the exam as possible, but spend all the time before going on courses which are which are, you know, and with vivas, I don't think people have to come on the Southwest of Asia. Any Viva course is usually good, but I would say go for at least one that is online uh, because the exam is online. And we have now come up with the four or five day format. So you do two days in, let's say, February and then two days in March. So you have time to improve, which was something I didn't have. So I, when I sat the exam, I was told too late that I wasn't good enough the first yeah. time I sat. I didn't have time to improve. Um, so I had to sit the exam again six months later. So what we are trying to do is create a course that almost six weeks before the exam, you get a sense of where you're going. You have time to improve. And then two weeks before the exam, you sit another course, solidify your learning and pass the exam. And I, that's why I feel that we might end up getting close to 100% pass rate. <laughs> If people give enough time, you know, it's going to it's going to be hard and mm. the exam is not competitive, which is why sometimes I wonder why people don't share resources, because it's not a competitive exam. It's a standard exam. You're trying to see whether you're good enough to practice as a consultant in the UK. It's interesting, isn't it? I think that um, for a lot of people, they're, they're, everyone's obviously done exams and they're all pretty much a similar sort of format. So Maybe it's the fact that the 2B is so different to any exam that they've ever done that people exactly. panic a bit and they're not too sure how to prepare. Um, That's so right. So technique plays a much bigger part than any sort of written exam. 
That's that's absolutely right. And um, we've also got something called the Academy, which we're trying to develop, which is meant to be something like your lifelong companion for CPD. So we have lectures with lots of recordings and we will have the ability in the future for people to uh, get CPD points just by viewing the lectures and maybe answering a Mm. quiz. So that's a little bit about revised radiology and the sort of ethos, the sort, you know, this is not my, I have used my knowledge from business and other pursuits and I've run revised radiology so that it's it gives value because a good entrepreneur doesn't focus on money. A good entrepreneur is thinking, how can I help people? And when you think like that, then the money will probably follow. And in our case, it's been quite easy then to use that for the, the courses that I believe in because, and I will come to this next, I'll tell you about how I structure my sort of life a little bit, if you'd like yeah, to go Yeah, please into. do. So, um, so a little bit about uh, my NHS career then. <laughs> um, so I started off as a consultant in 1999. I took a job as a consultant radiologist in uh, Western General Hospital. And um, at almost the same time, I got the opportunity to work for a teleradiology company, always. And... It started off, and you always need to have a reason, was because I had the cost of living was exceeding what I was bringing in. So I was minus by about a thousand pounds every month. Ooh, bad budgeting, Koshi. And that was (laughs) meaning that I had close to 80,000 pounds in loans. Oh, wow. And, 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 you know. Was this from stuff you were investing in? This is just buying, no, it's just buying (laughs) things like car, like a Chrysler as a registrar and, you know, things which I, you, you, I think what we do as doctors (laughs) is we, we get an income, we think, you know, and you can live beyond your means. And the stage came that I felt, okay, I would like to, I would love to send my my eldest daughter, I have four children, the eldest daughter to a private school in year seven. I could not afford it when I was, uh, you know, they went to a normal school and I, and I felt, okay, I'd love to be able to send her to it. And I needed 2000 pounds a month to do that. Mm-hmm. And therefore, I did teleradiology to just fulfill a need, okay? And this is where we come to, you probably have heard of Maslow's, Maslow's hierarchy, hierarchy of needs. needs. Yes, and yes. it often, you know, you've got the physiolog- physiological needs, but then just above that is safety needs. You need personal security, employment, resource, health, things like that. And when you're about 35, you've got the health usually. I mean, I was getting overweight and all that but you know health is not a big issue because everything starts it's a I, i'm a big believer in the slight edge principle that if you keep doing something over time it's, it has an exponential effect so yeah. and security personal security was really important so that was what teleradiology started off and it started off just doing scans in my free time to try and earn two thousand pounds a month which I quickly achieved. And most teleradiologists who do it part-time can manage that. And so that allowed me to get the confidence to, to say, okay, I'll send it to private school. But then you that's just the beginning, you know. It's a slippery slope. <laughs> yeah, it's a slippery slope. 
but obviously as a consultant, yes, you start at about 75,000 pounds, but a lot of it goes in tax. So you're actually take home salary. If you want to, if you're like me who came from abroad, you, you can't do much. So that's where Teleradiology came in. And I just started doing more and more. And effectively what happened is in the hospital that I was in, we were doing on call and they needed people to volunteer. There was not much money around. So they said, okay, can some of you go part-time for us to be able to put up a business case to say, okay, let's use this money to do on call from 12 to eight o'clock. So I volunteered, I reduced my sessions down, but I also learned how to report very efficiently. So even though I actually ended up doing about six sessions, um, I actually was doing as much work as a full-time radiologist because I'd learned also the principles of business of systemizing stuff. And so I learned to systemize a little bit my reporting, mm -hmm. my, my mentor, if you like, Dr. Gavin Stoddart, he, a uh, great guy, he is now retired. He showed me the power of uh, voice dictation. I used templates quite early like him. And I became a lot more efficient as a radiologist. I actually, when I left, I was uh, a clinical director um, as well. So I managed to do all these things without it becoming too pressing on me and feeling weighty. But... I couldn't do everything. And what happened was that in 2011, I, we had our fourth child. It was a boy. And I think there was a sort of moment of realization that the first two children really didn't know me, didn't mm -hmm. see me, didn't experience me. They knew me as a, as a guy who went to work, came back late, was doing other things, didn't have time for them. And I think the realization came, I've got to do something. But I think, and this is where property comes in, because that also started at the same time. So there's a parallel story coming in. And I'll tell you now why that's important. But the reason I went full time was simply because I now had a way of, I could tick the box on many levels, okay? Um, so the bits that I missed out for, I, I really missed ultrasound for the first year. Just, it was not ultrasound itself that I missed, but it was the thought that I was becoming de-skilled. Mm -hmm. I was doing hip injections. I had to stop that. And it was the thought that, oh, I'm not going to be doing this. But everything in life is a balance. And you have to balance what's important to you. And that's why the education tick box was ticked. I was doing a lot of that with Revise Southwest FRC at the time. So um, the bits that I was really missing were the bits around the de-skilling of practical performance, uh, the social contact at work. But then I was very much involved in a charity. So I was getting tons of social contact, uh, just not sort of professional necessarily. But then Southwest FRCR was giving me that. Um, and I also had security and stability, which is a negative if that's the only thing you do, as COVID will, will tell you. And I have a story to say around COVID because all teleradiology stopped. So if mm. teleradiology mm. was my only source of income, I would have been in severe problems. MDTs, of course, are something, you know, but I think that the bits that you miss with MDT is really just the contact with other professionals. But if you're like me and you've been 
you've had the ability to network, to go on courses, to keep yourself busy. You've now got the time. You're a free person and you can go to as many conferences. When you have a little bit of lack of social contact, go to a conference, meet radiologists, mm. go to a course. And, and that's how I sort of filled those gaps. Okay. Uh, and so teleradiology has now become sort of my day-to-day. I do a few hours of teleradiology, enough to keep me in the game. But I don't need to report, really, in a mm-hmm. sense, because I also developed a pension plan. Yeah. And if you want a little bit around the story of how that developed? or Just before you move on, so you report for a few hours a day, but you don't necessarily need to. Have you ever thought of stopping and reporting altogether and just um, doing your I, I No, I, I haven't. I really enjoy reporting. I, I, it's, it sounds sad, but I do enjoy reporting. It, yeah. it gives me some, and, and more importantly, it's actually a form of exercise for me. Right. Um, because back in 2010, when I started reporting in teleradiology, I read an article in the RSNA um, on an RSNA news about this treadmill desk that they had trialed um, as radiologists. And they were looking at the spotting of lung nodules um, and looking at the accuracy of people who walked on a treadmill while reporting. Wow. <laughs> and it was a very big, expensive bit of kit. It was about four or five thousand pounds. And basically, the study showed that there was a slight increase in accuracy for P- <laughs> in detecting lung nodules in people who uh, reported on the treadmill. Now, that got me thinking. I said, okay. Why don't I try this? So what I did is I got myself a treadmill, a normal treadmill. I imported this, just the desk that could sit on top of a treadmill. And I started walking. Now, obviously, if you're going to be walking, you can't walk for eight hours. So you need to become smart. And that's where I started developing templates that could help me report a little quicker and I started becoming good at a few body parts. And so teleradiology, that's one of the downsides. I have actually ended up very specialist. Right, okay. I only report certain bits, and that has just continued throughout. Mm. And I find it interesting because I walk about you know quite a few hours every day. I get enough exercise. I didn't really lose weight, but I certainly <laughs> walked to Aberdeen and back every year. You know? So are you, are you able to... Um tell the company what you want to report do they ever do you find that they try to say to you oh, do you fancy doing a bit of this or could you pick up yeah, that they, they do, but at the beginning you know i i it just turns out that they needed me to report certain body parts more so i just ended up doing them and after some time i suppose i just got de-skilled in other things so now i'm not skilled enough to do certain mm. bits so and i'm just very good at this and i you know, my accuracy levels are very similar to anyone else, maybe even better, because I've done so much of it, you know. So what was your subspecialty interest when you were still working uh, full-time NHS? So as a fourth-year registrar, I was I started doing GI radiology for a year. Um, but then when I was on posting in my final year in um, Western General Hospital, Gavin, who was, as I said, my mentor, a job came up nearby and I had to apply for a consultant job 
And it was a musculoskeletal job. So I, I and he said, you'd be an idiot not to apply. And I said, I'm not a musculoskeletal, I'm a GI radiologist. He said, well, you'll be an idiot not to apply. So I applied, but obviously you, you have to know some MSK radiology. So I started training on my own. I went up to Cardiff, some old mates of mine started learning MSK radiology. And I only managed to learn a bit of it. I didn't, didn't end up doing a fellowship. I did try, but I didn't get it. And um, I just ended up becoming an MSK radiologist. I didn't get the job, which was a good thing for them, I think. <laughs> but um, I did end up working in Western after that as a general radiologist with with an interest in MSK. And that's just developed over time. I've just done more and more of MSK and spines and just become relatively good. I, I, I'm by no far, by you know, no way the best around. There are lots of incredibly good radiologists whom I constantly learn from. And one of the skills of going, being good in radiology is humility. You've got to learn. You've got to be willing to be criticized, mm. both for the making mistakes or errors, but also for the, the style of reporting. And, you know, it's, it's important that you answer the question, something that it took me a long time to realize that, you know, you've got to cater your report to the person who's referring to you, you know, and and I'm still learning. Even though you're doing teleradiology, do you have um, hospitals that you regularly report for that you perhaps have a relationship with the surgeons no, and you no, know? No, I now only work through teleradiology companies. Um, okay. I've left four ways now, um, partly because of um, what I believe was a danger of working only for one company because you, when you work for a teleradiology company, you usually do it through a limited company entity. And there was a danger there of working only for one. And the Everlight, who I'm working for, extremely good company to work for. And Teleconsult UK, another really good company. They don't have these rules that you can only work exclusively for them, right. which I think is really, really important for the radiologist. I personally believe it. People might disagree, but I personally believe that you should spread yourself a little bit, work for multiple, and um, it's good for you, it's good for the organizations that you've spread yourself a little bit. And I've, I work for three organizations now, not a lot for all of them, a little bit for everyone but I think I've become the main reporter for a number of hospitals. Just looking at the volume <laughs> of stuff that's coming through, I think I've become one of the main MSK radiologists for some of the hospitals. I won't name them, but yeah. you know, everyone's struggling. So if you work so, with three companies, does that mean that you have three workstations? Yes, um, I do have three workstations. One is a treadmill, and um, and the other the other one is sadly a normal sit down, but. You need to do an audit of your error rates between the different. Uh, between yeah, the it's actually very, around. it's it's actually very similar. So <laughs> that was very helpful right at the beginning, but I think things have uh, sort of reverted to the mean. Reverted to the mean, yeah. So what's what's your favorite thing to report then? I don't have a favorite actually. I do. I like. I I do knees, shoulders, spines a lot, and. Yeah. I don't have any particular favorite. You know, people will think knees are easy, but they're actually more difficult because any part of the body is important. Because if you make an error, the, the effect on the patient is quite massive. And one of the things that Everlight keeps on your desktop when you, you switch on the machine is think about the patient. And that's really something that as a teleradiologist, you can forget. 
Yeah. But there's a patient behind your report. And you've got to think of the patient who's behind that scan you're reporting and think, how are they feeling? You know, you they, they've got pain. Have you answered the question of why mm. they've got pain? And often you can answer. It might not be. And in, in, when I was working in Western, I didn't report osteoarthritis if in, in the knee, for example. I do now because it does have an effect on the patient. The patient knows mm. then. That's what's causing my pain. There's nothing serious. Everyone obviously thinks about the worst. And occasionally you miss a synovial sarcoma or, you know, oh, wow. you don't get you don't get those kind of things. So you, you get them. I mean, I'm not saying you miss them, but mm. you can get them. So you've always got to be alert, whatever you're doing, of the serious pathologies. When you report for a tiny radiology company, as opposed to doing sort of extra work within your trust you have to pay for extra indemnity don't you i think that's one of the things which put people off doing teleradiology so it is is the indemnity um like a significant amount and what's your it is unfortunately for me it is but for most people i would say it's about seven to eight thousand pounds depending on how much volume but it depends on how much you do if you do full-time radiology i would hope that you're at least you're earning a lot more than you would in the NHS because if you do full time teleradiology, if you do full time teleradiology, you can you can do a lot more than the NHS. So you can afford to pay uh, the extra insurance. Uh, and pe- people think too much about that. I think you've just got to pay it. And I'm glad I was paying it because everyone at some stage gets something they do wrong. And in my case, it was a very sad situation where. A patient had a fracture of the spine, and I can admit this because it's all settled now. But the patient had, and that's the probably the it's the only one that is sort of I've sort of ended up have the insurance company having to pay out because you you know it was a patient who had a fracture of the spine. It was in the very early days of me reporting, as was about seven eight years ago, and I reported the fracture, but the history said that the patient had you know, a fall one year ago, they were still having pain. It didn't tweak at the time. Why didn't ask myself the question? Again, this is why I say you've got to think about why does the patient still have pain? So I thought it was a refracture and I reported as a refracture. Now, unfortunately, and I I would challenge radiology, you know, a young radiologist to think like this. It actually turned out to be TB spine. Now mm, you can't, oh, it's, wow. it's one of those things which if you don't, if you haven't seen it, you yeah. might miss it. And unfortunately, whether you like it or not, what happened in that case was not only did I miss it, everyone else missed it as well. And the patient ended up becoming um, disabled and they oh, put no. a claim against the hospital and myself. And I got drawn into it. I mean, I wouldn't say wrongly because I was one of the first, I was the first reporter of the MR. Um, but, you know, subsequently, you know, what we do is we, we believe the first report. Yeah. No mm-hmm. one thinks. Everyone is just thinking of what the other person said. And basically, we ended up having to settle with the patient. Um, but the effect of that made my, you know, I ended up at one time paying £45,000 as uh, wow. indemnity. And wow. so your indemnity the, goes up. If, if goes you have a claim, up. It's well, like it, insurance. It, it does. Like that. And wow. that's, the, that's the downside. If you don't do enough radiology, that will cripple you. So my, I just want to say this, my suggestion for radiologists, unless you've done what I've done, which I'll talk about now, property or something else, you are the best thing that a radiologist can do is continue working in the NHS. 
and do this as a way of generating cash for other things, um, including your pension, you know, which is what I did with Teleradiology. I used it to generate money for my pension. You know, it was not necessarily my, um, it, it, it is sort of in between, you know, it's day to day, but it's also, it helped me at one stage to develop my pension. Now it's, um, yeah. Is that because you're um, outside of the NHS pension? Yes, I was in the NHS pension for a while. And le- this is where it comes to the point about why I, why I got into property um, and that whole area, which is when I joined, one of the things one of my colleagues said is your salary will probably not be enough to live. So you need to think about your pension and you need to think about how much you will have at your pension. And you need to think about getting extra cash. And the only way you could do that from a traditional radiology point is getting CEA points, okay? Uh, yeah. Which the Clinical, clinical Excellence, Excellence Awards. Awards yeah. And it takes a lot of effort to get Clinical Excellence Awards. And and I found, what I realized is that a lot of people who did Clinical Excellence Awards, and this might be controversial, did it partly to prop up their pension because you get that's not you controversial know, three, at all so. you get it you get three thousand pounds a year for life and it's pensionable so a lot of people wow. want to end up with a salary of let's say 125 to 150,000 when you retire but when it, when you when i looked at how much time is it going to take me to get one cea award and also guarantee that the, the government won't change its mind and mm. take it away from you and the fact that a lot of radiologists would do a project get the CEA award and then stop doing the project and then start another one because you can't use the same project to get a new one. So it just felt like people were not really thinking about how this could genuinely help the NHS or quality of patient care. It was not purely that. I'm sure that was a motive, but that was not purely the motive. So you started a a program and then you dropped it and started something else and it didn't feel that, I mean, I, I had to make a judgment. Was I going to spend my time doing this? How much time was it going to take me to get one CA award? How, much How do time you get did, them? You get them by doing something, you know, special. You, you do a quality improvement project. You're, maybe you're a member of a particular com- uh, committee. You get into management. Perhaps you're an RCR examiner. You need to have evidence to show that you've done something that gives you the right to become. And it's become incredibly more difficult now than it used to be. Right. And I tried twice to get some points, but it wasn't enough. And I thought, okay. It's going to take me at least 30 hours of work, <laughs> if not more, to get uh, one CA award that will give me £3,000 for life uh, as a salary. Obviously, that's taxable. And I thought, okay, what else could I do that would generate that kind of money? And that's when I've always been fascinated by property because um, when I came to the UK, I came as a right from the in India at the time. Six months after I arrived, I managed to buy a house with a hundred percent mortgage, which is unheard of now. Wow. And I and I four years later I remortgaged at almost fifty percent higher. And I got money to buy my next house and buy an even bigger house with a bigger mortgage. And you know, and so I could see how property could 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 create. And a lot of people do that anyway. Most radiologists would own their own home. And you see the power of it, but I basically realized, okay, if I put 30 hours of work into 
finding the finance and buying a house, which I could rent out, make a small profit, and all the time would increase in value. I bought a house. My first house was in 2008. Um, I read a book called Money for Nothing and Your Property for Free by a guy called Andy Shaw, who actually ended up bankrupt doing that <laughs> too much. I mean, he did. He, he had 300 houses at the time, and he oh, just wow. became over-leveraged. But I was um, certainly inspired by him to learn to buy property using other people's money. And other people's money is the banks, credit cards, um, you know, and um, and just, you know, joint venture with people. And I bought my first house for 84,000 pounds using a credit card um, from MBNA, which gave me money that I could transfer to a bank account. It was in 2008, just before the crash. Or wow. It was during the crash, because after that, it disappeared. Um, yeah. And I bought my first house and I realized, wow, and I was making a profit of 300 pounds every month after paying off the mortgage. So multiply 300 times 12, 3,600 pounds. That's what I would have spent getting a CEA award. Yeah. And I thought, okay, if I could do that once every year, I could get one CEA award <laughs> in quotes every year. And I could basically recreate my pension. Yeah. And that is without allowing for any capital growth at all. Okay, because that's profit. Yeah, yeah. Now, as a result of that, I ended up doing two more things, which ended up total flops because I got so excited. I went and signed up for a property in the Caribbean, which never happened. I lost <laughs> oh 15,000 pounds. I went and bought one in France and that has bombed as well. You sound but like you've got an addictive personality, Koshi. I probably got. And I, but then I realized sense came to me and I said, I have to learn how to do this. So I signed up with a property um you know property course, or... course yeah yeah and it was by simon zucci who's well known he's 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 kind of known the property magic guy um and i went for a year course with them i learned all the tricks of the trade i bought seven properties in that time wow. with just you know other ways of financing and but they were rubbish properties because i just wanted to see one of the things that Andy Shaw wrote in his book was if you don't buy a property within 12 weeks of reading this book, you will never buy it. And I took that as a personal challenge. And I <laughs> bought it in eight weeks after he had read the book. So if you don't do it, yeah, there's no point learning. And and so I just did it. Uh, I just went ahead, did it. Many of those properties have are in retrospect not great. Pretty much all of them have gone up in value. So I've not ended up severely, you know disadvantage which is the great mm. thing behind property but i then went on to learn from a guy who had he was worth 60 million he, he came down in his aston martin he had three of them and he came down home and he you know i invested some money in him and he coached me over 10 sessions on how to buy uh properties that could create much more cash flow so i brought houses of multiple occupation and that has actually helped me to replace. And that's why in 2015, when I was had to make this decision, am I going to spend time with my family? My family actually know me a little bit and I can follow my passion. I mean, I would never have been able to develop revised radiology if I didn't have the time for it. Mm -hmm. And that's when I had enough cash coming in passively 
to replace my NHS income. And that's uh, the, the power of it. So at the moment, I've got much more than the NHS pension just coming in cash flow. Forget about capital growth. Obviously, it's increased. And if you think about it, most properties will increase in price, uh, double in price every seven to 10 years, probably yeah. more like 10 years. But in the 30 years that you have as a career, you would be, you know, if you have a two million pound property uh, portfolio, you'll be looking at a quite a nice sum, you know, at the end of it. Um, but the important thing now is that the government has really come down hard and it's mm. much harder to make cash yeah. from property. So that's why I'm now in the process of moving it into a company, which is a lot more. Uh, and now I buy all my properties. If I do, I don't do so much now. I'm not. I'm not passionate about property anymore. I've got my pension sort of sorted, uh, and the family is sort of safe. So what I'm doing now in life is really just fulfilling my passion, which is teaching uh, or or education. You know, seeing being able to impact the world. And what we are trying to do with revised radiology is sort of making it specific to FRCR. We're trying to go global and develop a network of people around the globe who can teach for examinations in their own country. So we're looking at India, Australia, potentially Canada in the future. And and that's my passion, not property. But property is certainly something that I would say is, is your pension plan, really good pension plan. And there are lots of radiologists out there now, I realize, who are doing what I'm doing. They're just doing it very quietly. Uh, I'm not afraid to tell people that I mm. invest in property, that I have a property portfolio. And if mm. I got it, a... it's true that people don't like talking about money in medicine. Um, do you think it's a dirty topic? I think that a lot of medicine, because it's a vocation and service oriented profession, there's a tendency to expect doctors in general to be martyrs and saints. Yeah. But I think if you have your basic needs met and you don't have to worry about it, you can really uh, do what you're doing without the risk of feeling disgruntled at the end of it. I know so many radiologists and doctors who feel totally disillusioned at the end of their career. Um, I don't think I'll feel that. I really don't because in addition to doing what I've done in radiology, I've made a difference in education, I've mm. made a difference to my family. Um, often when setting goals, I think one of the things that people should think about is what would be written on your gravestone if if you died to today? You know, what have you done for society? What have you done for your family um, and the people you're passionate about, your friends? Um, and having money is it helps you, allows you to be able to do that uh, to an extent. So I don't feel money is a bad word, but I I do think that if your whole motivation behind money is for yourself, I think you've missed something. You know, I, I do it for other people and that gives me fulfillment. Um, that's why I also took up, took up coaching as a career. Um, and, you know, I, I, when I left the NHS in 2015, I suddenly had, you know, 24 hours of time, which I didn't know what to do with. And I hired this uh, very world famous coach up in Vancouver um, called Steve Mitten. He was all over YouTube. I sent him a message saying, this is I'm a doctor. I'd like to 
find out what I'd like, to, what, what, what's, what, what am I about? You know, what am I going to do now? I'm not doing radiology, you know? And he did two, did a few coaching sessions with me. And after two sessions, I said to him, I love what you do. You can, you're making such a difference. You've helped me get clear about which ladder to climb. So you could be, you know, you could be climbing many ladders, but how do you know which one is going to give you fulfillment? So that's why I then said, I want to do what you're doing. So I spent another two years from 2015 to 2017 becoming a qualified coach with the International Coach Federation doing, you know, I did exams and I became a business and um, professional coach. And I had a number of clients, but I just don't have the time now to do it. But Mm. I brought in the whole coaching sort of uh, thinking into everything I do in revised radiology. So I don't think I'm thinking about how can I help these people, these registrars and consultants in other countries, how can I help them pass an exam how can I help my tenants, for example, to have a good... So we are known to have the best rooms in Bridgewater. I, I, I don't want anyone to live in a house that I wouldn't want to live in. So our houses are like hotels. We, we're thinking about the person. And so we charge more. Of course, you have to you charge more. But we find there's, that we are, our rooms, we have a 99, almost 99% occupancy rate. Wow. Because we provide high-quality education, Revised Radiology provides a high-quality, um, you know, education experience. And uh, in teleradiology, I like to provide a high-quality, you know, report for the um, hospital and for the clinician and ultimately for the patient. So if you have, if you have that sort of ethos, it will succeed for you. So I think people make a mistake not focusing on it's mostly fear it's mostly fear people are afraid of doing new things all they've ever known is medicine all they've ever known is radiology and it can be it's it's the learning curve but i i can promise you none of these things are as hard as medicine and radiology it is much much easier the coaching qualification i got was a fraction of even one of my exams and the property education learning was 12 days in total that was it yeah i think i think what you said there about about medicine is very true like our careers are so rigid and clearly mapped out right from being told what gcse's you need to do to get into medical school and then the standard application rounds for whatever subspecialty you choose to do um and then there's this pay scale that takes you all the way from graduation to retirement so I think that to to break away from the security of all that does take a lot of courage, really. It does. It needs courage. And uh, I am not disputing that at all. But you get that courage by hearing what other people have done, reading books, listening to podcasts. You get courage by seeing that other ordinary people like yourselves have done it. And when you know that someone who doesn't have an FRCR can buy and become a multimillionaire doing property, you you, you know you can do it. I mean, yeah. I, I could have become a much wealth, more wealthier person than I was now because the beauty about medicine is that it makes you a, a much more whole person. Becoming a doctor is not just about learning how to diagnose and treat a patient. 
a lot of medical school prepares you for life in general. That's why a lot of doctors actually end up doing other careers and do very well in it. So I could have done that, but that's not, I realized through the coaching I received that that was not me. I didn't want to become a multimillionaire. I wanted to do what fulfilled me. And that's why I've ended up having enough property to give in future, at least to give me a, a, you know, a, a, a hope of retiring without, you know, living in, in, in squ- squalor. But, <laughs> um, but importantly, I'm doing the things that I'm passionate about. I really believe in and it. And as you do it more, you, you find, I love the idea that education, people said to me, you can never, a course can never be profitable. And I wanted to prove them wrong, which is why I run courses to create profit what I do with the profit, because I can, is, uh, you know, do it useful for good courses, just like Aintree does. I was inspired by the John, you know, by Aintree course because they use their finances to fund research. And we do the same. We fund, you know, we fund projects. We're going to be sponsoring a local football and ice hockey team. And, you know, I we're also now looking at whether we can fund research, whether we can fund prices, whether we can fund grants yeah. for people. And we can do it. I mean, we're still going through a huge development. We're still spending tens of thousands of pounds developing the platform so it's even better. But eventually we will have something that can generate income for good courses. And that is part of my, you know, it fits the sort of the needs to to give. Mm. Um, and I think that is one of the laws of life, that if you give, you will receive. And revised radiology has become that way of giving. And, um, yeah. So um, we'll go for some uh, some final bits of advice now, if that's okay. For sure. aimed at a radiologist who's at the start of their career, who's looking to have a fulfilled career. So what advice would you would you give? So I, I would say that as a registrar, now I actually did buy my first property as a fifth, fourth or fifth year registrar. It was 2008 and I started in 2003 as a registrar. So I was in my final year, I think. Um, and so it can be done. Um, but I would say the most important bit, if you want to do radiology as a career, is to become a good radiologist. Okay. And it doesn't come without putting in the time and effort. And it's going to be very difficult till you finish that to start thinking about alternative income streams. But I find a lot of radiologists, okay, get so focused on the cost of courses and the cost of this. And they we have a culture of, of depending on the, the NHS for paying our study leave budget. But think of exams and getting your career as an investment it's probably one of the best investments you'll make okay because think about it you spend the time you get 75 to 100,000 pounds for life per year how many investments do you know that will give you the same same sort of certainty you know you have a career so i don't think it's wrong and i disagree with people like robert kiyosaki who's written the famous book rich dad poor dad um, I don't think having a career is a bad thing. I just think, and, and I think for the first three years, you probably should be focusing on trying to pass those exams and becoming a good radiologist. 
once the stress of that is over, and in, and in order to do that, don't skimp. You know, don't think, I don't have money. Well, borrow money if you need to do courses because you will get the investment back later. It's an investment. So you, and, and of course, use whatever the NHS throws at you. But if you think about what, they, what overseas candidates, why do they do the exam? They do the exam because it will increase their, their salaries at, at home. It will increase their reputation, which probably means more money later. So having the FRCS is, is kind of basic in the UK. But it does mean that if you do need to go to the to the Middle East, for example, you could you could be earning you know two hundred three hundred thousand pounds in one year, and only because you had the FRCR. So mm. the FRCR is your first commitment, the and, golden ticket, and the golden ticket. And wasting your time sitting exams many times, I was saddened to hear of people who have sat the two A, for example, you know four, five, six times. It's unfortunate if you've got to focus on getting that exam out of the way. It's incredibly important. So focus on that. Once you finish that, um, you have plenty of time to start thinking. Yeah. Read maybe in your spare time while you to change your mind. Start reading these books like Rich Dad, Poor Dad, you know, Property Magic, and, and um, just books about maybe, I, I mean, I don't know anything about stocks and shares, for example, but I know a colleague radiologist of mine who's, you know, he, he lives off stocks and, you know, he's doing very well with that. But yeah, if Jamie's you have, your man for that. <laughs> just, just learn about stocks and shares and whatever. Just become financially, you know, you, in addition to the novels you read, read a little bit around personal development and that'll help you in your exam as well anyway. You know, just personal development mindset and wait till you're finished. Um, I mean, some people have started before, but early in your career, spend your time learning radiology, develop your mindset, uh, learn about finance, the way finance works, learn money works, I mean, the way money works. And th- th- if you do that, I think you will automatically start thinking about, I need to do something about my pension. I don't want to be dependent purely on 50, maximum 50% of my take home. And you will start thinking in a different way and have a much more fulfilled career, be able to do things that many of your colleagues might not be able to do. So the four weeks you get in holiday in the NHS, you can go to nice hotels and places like that rather than skimping and, you know, <laughs> in a timeshare somewhere. Going to Butlins, yeah. <laughs> um, brilliant. Thank you very much for that, Koshi. Um, it's a really fascinating interview. You're certainly an enigma. Um, so I hope um, our guests have, re- have enjoyed listening to that as much as we have and will take on board some of the advice in terms of pursuing other interests and maybe trying to get multiple income streams. It's not necessarily just about trying to make as much money as possible, but it's trying to actually have the freedom to pursue your, your genuine interests. So, yeah, that's been really interesting. Thank you very much also for the opportunity to tell my story and to be able to help people to achieve what they most want in life which is what you know i'm about and there are lots of people out there who are about that that's what our aim is in in everything we do so thank you very much for the opportunity thanks for listening guys we'll be back next month with another episode and in the meantime you can catch all of our previous episodes on all the major podcast platforms and at anchor.fm forward slash radcast and for more updates check out our social media channels so that's radcast academy on twitter and instagram bye Goodbye.